Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. Uh, we're recording this uh, before the Cardinals game with San Francisco ends. So as you're listening to this on the off day, the Cardinals are either 44 and 44 or possibly 43 and 45. So we'll hope they pull out the win tonight, which would put them on pace to win uh, 81 games, of course, and be an exactly 500 team. Uh, I'm Ben Godar. With me, as always, is Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, having the Cardinals go out to San Francisco uh, after the last four to six weeks of baseball and win the first two of a series with the potential to sweep uh, certainly puts a little bit uh, of a hop, skip, and a jump uh, in your mood. Um, but uh, overall, the team has been sinking like a stone. I know we talked about uh, before this stretch against bad teams that we would look to see if they could keep their head above water. They could not. Uh, they were below 500 against the jobbers of the National League and American League. And uh, they themselves have fallen below 500 overall uh, as a result. And, uh, you know, it has really put the idea of the playoffs sort of out of the realm of realistic and more in the realm of fanciful. Uh, so that mm-hmm. uh, that is a bummer. But, of course, the flip side of this is, you know, we are old enough to remember when the team was eight games out of the wild card in August, 10 years ago, (laughs) and then went on a miracle run. And as I often joke uh, with a lot of my baseball fan friends after 2011, what else is there? (laughs) You know, after you've lived through the regular season of 2011, followed by uh, the run to the world series and then game six in and of itself, (laughs) You know, there were so many yeah. left for dead uh, moments uh, and uh, just highly stressful situations that, um, you know, it was uh, kind of like a, a three hour epic roller coaster ride of an Oscar winner that leaves you wondering what cinema can possibly offer you after that. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals yeah. and really no one in baseball has really offered anything similar to to that run in my opinion and so uh that run certainly has made more me much more of a chill fan uh and i've always been someone that likes to just kind of soak in the 162 game season uh and that run being a great example of why um i try not to have football brain when i'm following baseball where you know you declare a team done after six weeks or whatever of the season yeah well, and, and football brain is a very serious condition now. There's been a lot of studies on this, and you do you don't no, want to get no, you brain, don't. So. They, they they can't detect it until after you die, even. Um, right? No, there's it's an autopsy thing. It's bad news. Yeah, I I often uh, you know there's that like uh, old axiom you hear people say, oh, stranger things have happened. People say all the time, you know, watching a sporting event or something like that. And I always think we need to document what the strangest thing was, <laughs> so we know like when we can't. 
there actually were Stranger Things. But that that 2011 run is is pretty close to the the strangest thing. So it's uh, <laughs> certainly still a possibility. But um, I know I have um, I think uh, tweeted the uh, Jim Mora playoffs a meme at least once at some point this year. So um, I feel like you was there uh, in terms of what have you learned? I feel like we maybe hit on a little bit of that. Was there anything else specific that you feel like you've learned since we last joined? I everybody? mean, I think that I have learned that. Uh, Twitter is an unhappy place and uh, social media in general. Uh, and there's a lot more to baseball than whether or not your team wins or loses. And, you know, I, I reference Cardinals gifts a lot on here, but he captures a lot of those moments um, throughout every game and shares uh, yeah. very entertaining gifts of them. And um, right. and so, you know, what I have kind of learned is when your team's in first place in May, the second guessing is, is much more focused. Um, and then when your team right. loses its ace after losing its projected, you know, number three or number four starter for the whole entirety of the first half of the year, um, then suddenly uh, everyone is second-guessing, and they're doing it in a vague way. And so I guess what I have maybe been reminded of is that the criticism is, is not always fair or realistic. And I keep seeing this these things like... <coughs> the front office should have filled these obvious holes. And I'm like, well, who's going to sign to be a starting pitcher with the St. Louis Cardinals when they have five starting pitchers slotted, you know? Right. And if you're, if you were going to tell me the bullpen was going to be this bad, I'd... <clears throat> yeah, would have been, would have been a, a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I um, you know, I, I'm coming from a real similar place in terms of uh, what uh, you know what I feel like I've learned, and and I I feel like <laughs> there there are definitely some Cardinal fans who who don't know how to watch a bad team <laughs> or don't know how to enjoy a bad team, and uh, you know, you and I are are old enough to uh, have been through the '90s, which I always think back to as the one kind of period of my life that was a you know, fairly sustained several years of just this team is bad. There's not really a point that I think they're going to, you know, win the, uh, you know, win this year. I mean, I come into every year with a little bit of hope and you always hope to see something, but you didn't have those expectations. And I, I feel like I'm kind of grateful for that because I do feel like I can slip back, you know, into that. And as you said, enjoy, you know, enjoy the 162 game ride, enjoy the little moments, enjoy certain players and things like that. The one thing, and, and I, I really do try not to like, you know, tell people how to fan is, is something I try to do, um, except for these people who just suck and I will tell them what to do. Um, but no, the one thing that I, I do feel like I've seen and like you, I, I see it, you know, on Twitter more than I see it anywhere else is just this like sense of entitlement. Like, like I am, I am owed a winning team and how dare, how dare they not have everything filled, you know, et cetera. And it's, you know, and again, I mean, it, it, I certainly, there's absolutely room to criticize the team and criticize, you know, management and coaching and all these things. And we're certainly going to do it. <laughs> we have done it and we're, you know, we're going to do it later today as well. 
But it, it, maybe it's a fine line, but I think when it, you tip over to this sort of, you know, how dare they, you know, how dare they not provide me, uh, you know, a team that's that's going to, you know, win their division or, you know, as the, the team has liked to tout, you know, competitive baseball all but, you know, nine days in the last 10 years. You know, I mean, we're on a trajectory if things don't improve where, you know, this team, you know, could be, you know, completely out of it, uh, you know, frankly, by the, <laughs> the all-star break, you know, shortly after the all-star break, etc. So, um, you know, if that's the only way that you can enjoy uh, is if is your team is absolutely in the playoffs uh, or, you know, deep in the playoff hunt, I just think that seems like kind of a miserable way to be a fan because we're spoiled here as Cardinals fans. We've certainly been able to experience baseball that way a lot. But, I mean, it's sports. Your team's not going to be good every, every year. So um, I would hope that people that really are you know, really want to, you know, stick with the, the team and be fans can find at least shift yeah. gears to find other ways to. And it's, it. it also, I think, is missing the driving force here, which I think is very clearly ownership wanted a status quo budget. And they let Wong walk and signed, you know, Yachty and Wayno, and they wanted a status quo budget because they didn't know what COVID-19 would be like this year. And right, and you, we are living the results right now. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And, and also, and um, I, uh, I was on the Mimi Unusual podcast last week, and I think I referred to a you know total systemic failure at one point. Which you know, not to again, not to be, not to say that as you know, how dare they do this to me? But like, look, there's there's just problems in a lot of places. So this isn't one of the seasons where you could say like. Geez, you know, the, there's a lot of talent in this organization. Mike Matheny is mismanaging it. They really need to fire Mike Matheny or make this one specific move or make a trade to acquire this. There, there's so many problems that, you know, it's it, it's looking like it may well be unfixable. And that sounds like a real downer, but just, you know, sometimes that's what it is. And so, you know, we'll write it out. But um, whatever happens this year, you know, we'll start to see some glimmers of things that, you know, come. And, and as you said, even kind of with this, you know, we'll write it out type talk, you know, we've, we've seen stranger things happen than this. You know, they just, they won two of three against the giants here. It seems unlikely that they can come back at this point, their playoff odds at fan graphs are, you know, under 5%, but, uh, you know, these things can happen. So who knows, maybe they could still kind of, uh, make a run there. So, with that and kind of pivoting, I think the first uh, main to- first major topic we wanted to talk about today was uh, Alex Reyes. And it seems like a good time to kind of dive into Reyes. Obviously, he was named uh, an all-star, which I think is pretty awesome for Alex Reyes, just knowing kind of what he's, you know, the roller coaster of his career from, you know, number one prospect in baseball to, uh, you know, just, you know, years really of injury and, and now in this kind of bullpen role, um, et cetera. Um, but he's a, he's an interesting, (laughs) he's an interesting character to dissect. And, um, I, I think you and I both looked at this, um, uh, Grant Brisby, the uh, great, uh, writer, um, uh, who covers the, the giants and also does national baseball writing as well. Um, primarily at the, he's still, he He used to be at the, uh, Um, Chronicles and SBN. Yeah, he used to, he was, he was, he, that was his Twitter (laughs) handle. Uh, and that's that's how yeah. far I like to joke. We used to be peers, and then he far exceeded me in every way. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I just this week uh, found out one of my uh, good friends from uh, film school was admitted into the Academy this year and will be voting for the Academy Awards next year. So I have uh, I certainly have a long list of peers that have exceeded <laughs> <laughs> a variety of areas, really. Um, but <laughs> setting that aside, um, no, gr- uh, he had a great tweet uh, just kind of preparing for this Cardinal series, looking at Alex Reyes numbers. And he said, if I'm doing quality control for a baseball video game and a computer player puts these numbers up, I'm sending the beta back and firing at least three people. (laughs) And and he, you know, posted a screenshot of Alex Reyes's line. um, And, you know, there's some interesting things there and it's, it's not all good. You know, he's 40 innings pitched, uh, only five earned runs, uh, only two home runs, 53 strikeouts. All of that is amazing. But uh, 31 walks in 40 innings pitched, and eight wild pitches, actually leading the league in uh, in, in wild pitches, um, which is almost as bad as leading the league in nose hair. Um, so uh, anyway, <laughs> a lot to unpack there. But what are your what are your thoughts on? Uh, I would trade him this summer if the team uh, is below ten percent in their playoff odds uh, two weeks uh, before the trade deadline. Um, so you don't think that because I, I think the prevailing wisdom or the prevailing feeling is this is still uber prospect Alex Reyes and this is his year in the bullpen and he's going to transition into the starting rotation and be a frontline starter. I see a lot of people who that's what they think. You you disagree. With um, that. You know, the old saying, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Um you know, and we make a lot out of how we live in a minor league town. Um, so we have lived through a lot of pitching prospects. Uh, no one more painful than Rick Ankeel. Uh, you know, they come through town. Uh, actually, Adam Wainwright is like the, maybe the anti-Ankeel. Maybe this is what the gods of baseball gave us. Uh, they gave us Wainwright after taking Ankeel away from us as a pitcher. Um, And I just say that because he's had a long, successful career. Uh, He's kind of like, uh, you know, comfort food or your favorite blanket as a kid on the team. Uh, But when it comes... Yeah. Well, I'm going to sacrilege because actually I thought... And Ankeel is great, but I thought you were going to say Mark Pryor. Well, we we lived through Pryor too, uh, although we are not Cubs fans. But it was certainly... No, but it's it's hard to think of a guy who was more highly touted, like guaranteed. You know, he was sort of Steven Strasburg yeah. level, like we are confident this guy is an all-timer. And obviously it didn't go that way. But And uh, so uh, with Reyes, uh, I, I understand why people watch him pitch and think that high ceiling player is still there. Because his stuff is just uncanny. It's remarkable. Um, but the the caveat to him throughout his career has been, you know, he needs to have better control and he needs to walk fewer batters. And there is <clears throat> nothing over the last two years to make me think that that is ever going to happen. And I don't see how he can be a major league starter if, if that does not happen. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I, I'm more or less in line with your with your thinking there. Um, I mean, I'm I'm maybe a little higher on him and just continue to be impressed by, um, 
you know, aspects of who he is. Uh, I've got, we talked a couple weeks ago about baseball savant pages and Alex Reyes is a baseball savant page. I would encourage uh, everyone to uh, check out. He is every, uh, on their little sliders thing, everything that he, that they track that he does, he is above the 75th percentile. in. so he's in the upper quarter and absolutely everything, exit velocity, hard hit percentage, X Woba, uh, strikeouts, barrel percentage, etc., except for <laughs> a walk percentage where he's in the first percentile, which is, uh, I believe they call that John Gant territory is what they officially call that over there. Um, and, uh, and chase rate is really bad as well. So he's just, he's just another one of these extreme cases. There's, there is nothing in the middle about Alex Reyes. He is, uh, elite or he is extremely poor. Um, so uh, I, I'm I, I see so much I still see so much you know talent and ability there, but I do agree with you the I don't see a starter there anymore, and you know I I think in our season preview I even I picked him to be one of the uh, you know to eventually you know by the end of the season despite what they said work his way into the rotation because I just thought stuff wise he's clearly so much better than these kind of guys they were projecting at the back end. You know, and his stuff is that good, but I, I think I maybe didn't um, didn't quite account for the degree to which his control is a problem. Um, that said, uh, you know, the bullpen is the bright place for a guy like that because you've got a three batter minimum, so you can um, you can exit those guys in those situations. That's why I still feel like. You know, John Gant, I don't think is ever going to be a good pitcher, but I think he's I think he's good enough to be a guy in your bullpen that you don't necessarily use in high leverage situations. The fact that you can yank him out, I think, you know, mitigate some of what he is. It's a lot different when you're putting a guy who has that much uh, walk in, in their game. You know, you're putting him there at the beginning of the game and really needing them to give you, you know, four or five innings. You know that will that will absolutely lose you games on on certain days. So um, so no, that's that's interesting. And and you know you're talking about you know they should trade him. And I I don't know. I th- I think we're maybe saving for our all star spectacular, getting too deep into what kind of moves they might make. But I, I personally feel like if the Cardinals were to to make trades, I think bullpen guys are really the guys that make sense to trade. I would have put Gallegos kind of number one, but maybe Reyes is really the guy that should be up there because you know bull, bullpen guys are are e- more easy to replace than you know than anything else, and I think those guys probably have more trade value than anybody else on the team. Yeah, I think so. he's got two years, or he's entering arbitration. I think he's got. Or does he have two years left? I should have checked that before we started the podcast. But he's at at any rate, he is becoming more expensive. His health is still, in my mind, a serious question mark. And so I look at him and I look at where this Cardinals team is. And I ask myself, what does Alex Reyes give the Cardinals the most value as? And I think he is as overrated right now as he will ever be. And teams will still trade for, you know, that proven closer or late inning reliever. And right. It says all star next to him. And the the save number is, is he's in the, you know, top five. And And so I, you know, I look at those things and I just, I don't have faith that Alex Reyes will make it through two or three more seasons healthy. Um, And as much fun as he is to watch when he's on, 
he's he walks so many players and while he has a, a very good strikeout rate it's not so good that it completely mitigates that walk percentage um and i i think unless something changes with respect to his walks you know that era is probably not going to be below two and and maybe might even get up close to three in that range before the end of the year and so i i used to be a huge believer uh in alex reyes and i used to buy into the ceiling of what he could be Mm -hmm. um but with what we've seen over the last you know handful of years i think that it would be foolish for the cardinals to treat him as anything other than a trade chip that they need to get out of the organization and get what they can in return uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, um, like I said, I, I hadn't really considered him as much as a trade chip, but I, you know, I think you've convinced me and you're right. If you're, you know, you want, if you want to buy low and sell high, you're right. This is absolutely the highest that he's going to be. And, and just on a basic level from what we're talking about here in terms of regression, you know, he's, he's currently got a 1.52 ERA, a 3.51 FIP and a 4.42 um, XFIP. So, you know, even with regression, he's, he's probably still a good, you know, a good reliever, you know, for sure. But um, this, the very elite level he's at now is probably not sustainable. I mentioned he's in the, you know, 1% range on baseball savant there. If you actually look at strikeout rate um, and, and sort strikeout rate by qualified relievers, um, he is the third worst, or I said strikeout rate, walk rate is what I meant. He's the third worst in walkout rate. And it's really, it's a very interesting, because you look and the guys around are just yeah. terrible. I mean, he's not, you know, he's, there's nobody else there who's a good pitcher, which in a way speaks to how great his stuff is. And, and I do think it's the thing that, uh, I mean, he, he, de- again, he has a John Gant-esque walk rate. Uh, it, Alex Reyes can survive and do a lot more with that because, Alex Reyes can, you know, walk the bases loaded and then strike three guys out and, and, and do that, you know, and not just as like a fluke, but you, you know, relatively consistently he can do that. And, and on top of that, even beyond the strikeouts, as I mentioned, his, all of his kind of barrel rates and everything else. I mean, he, uh, he does not give up hard contact. He does not give up a lot of that. So, so his talents mitigate a lot of the damage that can be done against him. But when you're walking that many, you're, you're, you're still, you know, setting yourself up for potential. That's absolutely right. And, you know, based on how this season has unfolded so far, uh, I have no reason to believe that anyone in the St. Louis Cardinals organization in management or on a coaching staff is going to be able to fix Alex Reyes's walk problem. I mean, you know, it's so it's such a well, widespread right. issue amongst the staff. You know, like I yeah. don't see the ability w- of the organization to turn him into the elite pitcher that he has the potential to be. And so that also factors into my thinking of, you know, get rid of him now while he is healthy and, you know, somehow is on well, I, don't think, I don't think you mean I don't think you mean get rid of him. I think you mean you know get some value, bring yes. in some more valuable pieces in return because it's not like he's 
he's this bum that we, you know, want to get out, but there's, there's probably more value from exiting him yeah. now. And, yes. And, and I actually, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying like, you know, DFA him for nothing. I'm saying, right. you know, he is at the peak of his value right now. Yeah. Do not sit yeah. on him because it's, I, I, right. and I may, I, hopefully I will eat crow and he is the best reliever in baseball for the next three years for the St. Louis Cardinals if they don't trade him. Right. Like, but I just look at it right. and, you know, this reminds me of Trevor right. Rosenthal at his worst, you know, like when he had the, yeah. the, when he has the terrible outings um, right. and, and the season with the high walk rate. You know, this is very reminiscent of that to me. He can still still snap in and get out of trouble. But when you pitch in trouble so often, you're playing with fire and it's only a matter of time before you get burned. And when you're pitching in those high leverage situations and the team has such a mountain to climb to qualify for the postseason, right. you know, I, I, I also yeah. think that you know, having a, a proven closer or a closer that you think is great is uh, something that is of such a low value to a sub-500 team. Like, there's no reason to right. uh, sit on that if you can flip it right. for the next for next year or two years and get, you know, a double-A arm, you know, or a left-handed hitting uh, right. outfielder. You know, if you could do something right. like that, well, I think you absolutely have to do it. Well, and, and you know, I think anytime you have a, a, a relief pitcher who other teams think is valuable, you should trade them. <laughs> I, I think that almost without exception. You know, and that's why I said, to me, Gallegos is a name that came to the front. Gallegos is a little more... Uh, to me, Gallegos is just clearly a very good relief pitcher. I think there's there's fewer asterisks with you know with Gallegos, and I would 100% trade Gallegos. And, and and the reason I would trade any relief pitcher is, you know, tell me who who is going to be a good relief pitcher next year. You, you could take a guess. You might be fairly accurate. Who is going to be a good relief pitcher in two years? You have no idea. You have no idea at all. Who's going to be a good relief pitcher in three years? You probably haven't even yes. heard of them. Right. Or it's, you know, guys who are like a fifth starter somewhere now. And and you go, you know, just go back and, you know, really look back at like who the Cardinals leading relief pitchers were over, you know, the last five years. It's a very, very short term kind of position. Yes, there's occasionally guys that kind of come through and have a little bit of a, a longer run, but it's it's really quite rare, you know. And I mean, again, relief pitchers are failed starters. And so these are guys that are already kind of on the back end of what's, you know, major league uh, ability. And it's, it's, it's just a very transient space. And so um, holding on to a guy, cause he's a good relief pitcher this year. Um, it's, it's just not a great idea because more often than not, you know, they're not going to be next year. And so if you can trade them for uh, a guy who's a legitimate starting pitcher potentially, or a position player, those guys are so much more valuable. They're so much more consistent. They're so much more projectable. So that's that's why I would kind of, you know, come at it that way. Um, shall we shall we move on to uh, our, uh, our our debate that we have? Uh, I, I think that's a good here? idea. I just wanted to make one point that selfishly, I do not want them to trade Gallegos because I want to see 
whether Gallegos or Luke Voigt will have a higher FWAR. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, Voigt with the Yankees, Gallegos with the Cardinals. Um, no. Because I'm, uh, even after his lovely 60 game 2020, I'm, I'm just not a big Luke Voigt uh, believer either. And I really want this experiment to play out so we can see. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I will say too, um, and this is more, I guess, getting back to Reyes, but I feel like it's a pretty low likelihood that in a season where they're already struggling to have fans interested in the team, that they, they trade their, one of their two all-stars, who's kind of a, a great story, uh, you know, guy who is a, a top prospect that finally well, it, came up. I think it's a hundred percent the right thing to do from a value perspective, but, you know, internally for them, just knowing how fans would react to that, it, it would it would surprise me if well they, if they did me that. too because the st louis kind of establishment media has chosen to uh pretend like alex reyes doesn't have a significant problem with walking batters and it's really uncanny and weird how little mention that gets like and yeah. and uh i also don't understand why there is an inability to just recognize that truth. I mean, one of the reasons I love Mike Shannon is just time and again, like when a pitcher walks a guy, he will just be like, walks will kill you. And he just goes on and on about it. And it's 100% the truth. And it's been the truth since he was playing and 50 years uh, before he was playing. And I don't understand uh, sort of this, framing of Alex Reyes's 2021 season where we're just going to pretend that the walks are not happening and it's not an issue. And, uh, and that's very bizarre to me. So what I, what that means is the media would also probably be fairly negative in its response to a trade of, as you said, one of the Cardinals two all-stars, um, even though Alex Reyes is, is, in my opinion, probably not an all-star quality pitcher this year. Like you could find multiple pitchers better than him uh, to pitch an inning for the National League with World Series home field advantage on the line. Right. Although they're not doing they that aren't, anymore. They got right? rid of I that? They are. Did I, I missed that. Yeah, I think I'm pretty oh, sure thank they goodness. Yeah. Because so. it's uh, <laughs> it's much more fun when it's just an exhibition that's got a little bit of the you know, the slappiness, fun aspect to it. Um, so thank goodness they got rid of that. I don't know how I missed I, that. I, see, I would rather, I would rather have it be a, a balls out battle. I want, I want Pete Rose to end somebody's oh. career in the all-star game. That's, oh, that's yeah. my, I'm, uh, that's my, one of my, oh, more see, I, I like the, the slappy fun uh, aspect of it. And, um, right. you know, right. And, and and that is enjoyable too. And I think the perennial problem with it is it's kind of a neither fish nor fowl thing that sort of yes. lives somewhere between those two. I, my, so, my, my ideal um, all-star game uh, includes everyone giggling and laughing after Ichiro's uh, pep talk um, and just kind of right. all around <laughs> having fun with it. Um, and I just, I really enjoy it. Um, I also like it, though, when the teams wear their normal uniforms, because I think that's fun, too. And yet we're, you know, getting away from that for the uh, merchandising and and apparel sales. So, uh, 
Yeah. Well, hopefully that'll be a one year, that'll be a one year diversion here into that. Uh, so for, for our second topic today, um, since we're coming up on a Cardinals Cubs series and the Cardinals and the Cubs um, are both not very good. <laughs> In fact, if the, uh, if the Cubs win today and the Cardinals lose, I believe they will be uh, exactly tied in the standings. So um, we thought it would be fun to debate each other here uh, over. Now, we could frame this two ways. I think the way we discussed it was saying who sucks more, the Cubs or the Cardinals, that, <laughs> which I suppose we're, we're asserting the negative there. That, you could also that was to my say, text message wording to you as a potential topic. I think <laughs> almost exactly. I think you exactly quoted it there. Well, let's be honest. Watching both of these teams this year, I think that's probably the terminology that most of the fan bases have used. I don't think there's a lot of people saying like, geez, which one of these Cracker Jack clubs is is better? Who's Who can say? So uh, we just, just to make this a little more fun for ourselves too, we are going to flip a coin and um, one of us will argue in favor of the Cardinals and one of us will argue in favor of the Cubs. The fun of this being, of course, that you know both Ben and I dislike the Cubs greatly, but one of us is going to have to argue on their behalf. So I've got a coin here, Ben. Um, uh, why don't you, why don't you call it? And if you win, um, then I, I, I'd say let you choose, but I'm sure you'd probably prefer to take the Cardinals side. Uh, I, yeah, I think, uh, so, so if you, if, if you, if you win the, if you win the coin toss, you'll, you'll argue yes. the Cardinals are better and, uh, and, and yes. vice versa. So, all right. And and by the way, Ben and I can see each other on video here. So we do have, he, he can see that there are no shenanigans going on here with this coin toss. So um, anyway, I'll flip it here, Ben, All if right. you want to call it in the air. Heads. Oh, it is in fact oh, tails. It is tails. So actually, let me just check. I Yes, it is tails. I did. Um, I have one of those weird state quarters, so I just had to double check. <laughs> There's the a man's side head side on there. I'm not the, sure if it's a founding. Yeah. One of the yeah. founders or. The, this, the, this, the side that was facing up says New York 1788 and has a picture of the Statue of Liberty on it. So I think that's officially the tails. So. Um, all right. So you so you are going to be arguing in favor of the Chicago Cubs. Would you um, since you lost the flip, would you prefer to go first or would you? Prefer uh, to go I will second? go second. See, that's what I would have chosen, too. Did you do debate in like no, high school? I did not. I, I was a jock. Oh, really? Um, uh, OK. And well, I knew that, but you're also you're also a, a, an attorney professionally. So I thought maybe uh, debate was was I don't even know if we had debate. I don't think we did. I when I went to yeah. to my high school, we were a small we were in the second smallest class and then for my last two years we moved up a class but it was you know now my high school has everything it it's even gonna have be divided into two high schools but back when I was there it was it was a little bit more uh, a little bit smaller and didn't have as many right. extracurriculars okay well you still are a professional arguer so I think I think the odds are slightly in your favor there um I, I did I played sports, but I was also a theater kid in high school and beyond. So I was I was more about stirring the emotions, Ben, <laughs> than I was about winning uh, in a rhetorical battle. So, uh, all right. So if I'm going to argue that the Cardinals are are the superior team, um, what are some things that I can that I can point to? Uh, well, I'll tell you 
one thing that I would look at is the the players themselves. And so I did some looking at uh, wins above replacement um, amongst the two, the players. So they're very close. The Cardinals uh, players' cumulative wins above replacement is 15.4. The Cubs is 15.0. They're actually right next to each other um, in in the ranking of all major league teams. Just to give you some, some uh, context, the Diamondbacks are the worst team to no one's surprise with 11.7 wins above replacement. The Dodgers, also to no one's surprise, are the best with 25.2. So that's kind of the the spread there of, of kind of, you know, where they're at. So now the 0.4 edge to the Cardinals is, is of course, an edge, but that's not, that's not really meaningful. But what I did think was a little bit meaningful when you dig in a little more is when you look at where do those wins come from? The the Cubs are uh, an extremely top heavy team, and then just a whole bunch of garbage. So um, if you look at players who currently have uh, 1.0 wins above replacement or or more, so you know these are guys who are going to project to you know to kind of two wins above replacement and above, which would all be guys that we would categorize as like pretty much solid everyday major league caliber players. Um, the, the Cardinals have nine players that fit that. And I am looking at hitting uh, uh, position players and pitchers together here. Um, the Cubs have only five. Okay. And so that to me speaks to some of the long-term uh, superiority, I think, of the Cardinals this season. Um, I think you would rather have a, a team with with kind of more value spread out than that kind of top heavy sinking ship sort of model that you have there in Chicago. Um, you know, I think it's also worth noting and every team has injuries every year, but you know, the Jack Flaherty injury that the Cardinals have been dealing with, you know, your, your number one ACE pitcher is one of the worst injuries that you can sustain as, as a team. And they've been weathering that hopefully, you know, we've heard some talk about maybe the beginning of August or something Flaherty could particularly come back if you plug a Jack Flaherty back into a team, that's a really significant boost. And I, and there there's, you know, I don't think there's any uh, Cubs players of that caliber who are, who are injured though. I will admit I have not looked that closely because screw the Cubs. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then the, the, the final thing for me that just always, and especially in a year like this, when they're kind of close puts the Cardinals ahead is the Cardinals are an organization that that is committed to winning, and they do put value on um, you know putting a competitive product on the team every year. So um, you know th- I think there's still an extremely good chance that the Cardinals look to add a little bit this year and 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 acquire some talent. I don't think it's going to be huge. I don't think it's going to make a, a big difference, but. Um, I would really not be surprised for the, the Cardinals to try to get better this season. I don't think there's any chance that the Cubs do anything except for sell off some of those um, bigger stars for scrap. I just think that's that's what they're going to do. I think that's what they always wanted to do this year. I think their um, you know front office is probably uh, relieved that they've they've tanked so badly now because when they were winning, they couldn't do that. But that's sort of what this year was always set up to be was for them to to, you know, sell off and go into another cycle where maybe in a few years they'll be good again. So for all of those reasons, Ben, I, I, I would say that the St. Louis Cardinals, or I, I would say that the Cubs suck more 
than the St. Louis Cardinals. What what say uh, the St. Louis Cardinals suck because they're boring. They don't even have city series jerseys like the sweet Wrigleyville jerseys uh, that they debuted <laughs> a few weeks ago. Sir, I know for a fact that you are not a fan of those Wrigleyville jerseys. Well, it's all about, uh, you know, a cool factor that the Cardinals do not have and that the Cubs do have. And the Cubs have a cool factor because they have legitimate uh, stars on the team. And that is why they're a better team, because they have a better core. And it's... uh, you know, a, a core that has come up together. It's won a World Series. Um, there's only, I think, two people, well, three people. No, two people on the Cardinals who have won a World Series with the Cardinals, and that's Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, and they're both over the hill. And so uh, they are left with veteran guile and proviness. Uh, the Cubs still have World Series champions uh, on their team, in their prime, uh, ready to produce. And I think uh, most people would rather have Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo uh, as opposed to just, you know, the declining Goldschmidt and Arenado and, you know, whatever you want to call the Cardinals outfield, and then Tommy Edmond. Um, You know, there's a lot more question marks uh, I feel for the second half for the Cardinals than there are for the Cubs. Um, And I think I would rather put money um, on that core uh, putting together a solid second half under the leadership of grandpa Rossi uh, than than the Cardinals (laughs) being able to put something together under Mike Schilt. I mean, you know, you've seen Schilt in the post-game Zoom meetings. I, who's going to write a screenplay about his story or invite him on to Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> no one. Um, and so it's very clear that the Chicago Cubs under uh, Jed Hoyer, who worked under the greatest leader in the world, Theo Epstein, uh, for many years. And so he knows the ways of leadership. And that uh, undeniably includes tanking for like a decade or five years, I guess, maybe not a decade, and then rising from the ashes again like a phoenix. So this is the last year before Wrigleyville burns to the ground. And uh, I fully anticipate that the Cubs will not trade Krim- uh, Craig Kimbrell, will not trade uh, Chris Bryant, uh, will not trade Rizzo and will not trade Baez or any other player because ownership, Ben Godar, is committed to winning, not to maximizing profits. <laughs> and so that is why uh, the Cardinals suck worse than the Cubs. Wow. Well, I'm uh, I'm glad that I won the coin toss, Ben, because I would have had to make some of those same points myself, and that did not that did not look fun, but. Uh, we will, <laughs> we will find out uh, at least over a three three game series, right? Yeah, Coming and and here. it's it, right? uh, it in all seriousness, it's really poetic that these two teams are facing off to end the first half because they they both had like their little run earlier in the year that saw them grab a hold of first place, sole possession of first place in the central, and then for like the last month to six weeks both teams have just tanked and i know it's been very frustrating to watch the cardinals we've all done it 
there's a a very good argument that the Cubs have been worse, uh, uh, and yeah. not just because uh, you know they fell further in a in a shorter amount of time, but you look at their numbers and it's really bad. Um, and so they're both yeah. right around the same uh, place in terms of record going into the series. Um, they've both uh, really kind of bottomed out and and torpedoed their own expectations going into the year. Um, and it's a very fitting twist of fate that they are playing each other before the All-Star break begins. It is. And, and just uh, sort of an update as, as we speak here, the Cubs have won their game tonight. The Cardinals are currently down 3-1 to one in the bottom of the fifth. But with runners on second and third, uh, they uh, brought in John Gant. And uh, Mike Schilt had John Gant issue an intentional walk to load the bases because you one thing you want to do is load the bases with John Gant pitching because what could possibly come of that? So I'm going to go back on that thing I said at the beginning about fans being too negative and like, you know, um, everything and say that Mike Schilt should be fired into the sun. For, <laughs> Not for just fired, sun. fired into the sun. No, fired into the sun. Exactly. It's not enough for his uh, position, uh, you know, his livelihood to be taken away. He should be on, on a rocket ship towards uh, the fiery center of our solar system. Um, but continuing with the uh, Cardinals Cubs uh, theme, uh, we picked out a box score of your, we're really going out of a, uh, we're really going off the mainstream here. And I, I, uh, I dug this one up. I wanted to find a very interesting Cardinals Cubs game. Um, I wanted to find one that wasn't kind of a, well, you know, I didn't want to do the, the Willie McGee slash Ryan Sandberg game, or, you know, one of those kind of, we all, you know, know that game. So I landed on this box score from August 28th, 1930. So this is near the end of the 1930 season. Um, the, uh, Cardinals were 70 and 56 at this point in the season. The Cubs were 75 and 50. So the Cubs had about a five game lead here. Um, The Cardinals would actually go on to um, win the national league, play in the world series, lose to the A's uh, in 1930. They they would Cardinals would win the world series in 1931. Um, The Cubs would finish uh, second place uh, this particular year. So, um, it's an interesting game. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of get into why it's interesting as we go through it there. But, uh, Ben, just kind of starting off anything about the, the sort of lineups and who's in this game that is of interest uh, Jim to you? Bottomley, uh, started at first base for the Cardinals. And I've always felt that he is, uh, a Cardinals great that doesn't get, um, a lot of mention, I think because he's kind of mm-hmm. sandwiched, uh, between Hornsby and and Musial, and then Dean burst on the scene in between and just kind of, you know, captured the spotlight. Yeah. Um, but he's a really good player, and well, and he and I'm just just not I'm, I'm kind of interrupting, but um, bottomly, I've always been really fascinated by the Cardinals' first baseman from the kind of basically through the '30s. Um, and you had this really interesting progression there that I think is a good microcosm of the St. Louis Cardinals as an organization throughout their history. So um, throughout that entire um, decade, slightly plus there, the, the Cardinals had uh, excellent first base play the, uh, the entire time from three different players. You started with Jim Bottomley. Jim Bottomley had several um, great seasons. 
But then there came a point where the Cardinals did not <laughs> want to pay Jim Bottomley anymore. And they had a player named Ripper Collins in the minors who was very, very good. They brought Ripper Collins up. Jim Bottomley is a Hall of Famer. Ripper Collins was a, a great player who didn't quite make the Hall of Fame, but many, several great years. But then when Ripper Collins um, got too expensive, uh, they brought in Johnny Mize, who, of course, is also a Hall of Famer. So I've just that little run of like superstar Cardinals first baseman to me has always a, been a good like this is kind of what this organization is. So um, anyway, um, but sorry, Ben, well, go, and, go and ahead. to your point, you know, pulling them up from their vast farm system that they invested in so they wouldn't have right. to pay uh, major leaguers. Uh, I'm sure it makes DeWitt green with envy. Um, well, and the, yes, no, good point. And this is also early enough that this is still at the point where, you know, the Cardinals had 276 yes. affiliated teams and, you know, some of the teams in baseball were still yeah, like, had, had entire leagues. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, Bottomley is is someone that we don't talk about a lot, and and was a really exceptional player. Um, but now I'm going to get very very superficial because this is one of the fun things uh, that the old the older box scores have, and I'm just gonna list off some first names here. We have Sparky, Showboat, Burley, Footsie. Kiki, Hack, High Pockets, and Gabby. Um, and then also Roger Rogers Hornsby uh, did make a, a, a pinch-hitting uh, appearance for the Cubs. And I've always thought the plural Rogers. Uh, Rogers Hornsby is the only Rogers I've ever heard of in my life. So I'm going to, to mention his first name as well, even though it's not as fun as those other first names. But, like, it would be really great if there was someone who just went by high pockets, like, you know, playing I in agree. the majors nowadays, I, like it, it's really wild right. and fun. Well, and you know, showboat yes. Fisher is such a great name too. And, and you just, you, you immediately of course want to know what was the, the incident or the series of incidents <laughs> that, you know, led, you know, Lloyd Fisher or whatever his name was to forever be and actually be, you know, on baseball reference listed as showboat yes. Fisher. <laughs> and so uh, that that is something that I greatly appreciate about the uh, older, like early 1900s, uh, late 1800s box scores are, are some of the fun names where I feel like it also is like sitting here as a fan, you can certainly see how when most of the world was consuming the game in print and on radio, that creating this, these colorful personas with fun names was, was more creating a myth or a legend at that point in time and how that fed the popular perception of the game of baseball and perhaps made it uh, a little bit more entertaining to follow. Um, at that point in time. Right. Right. As opposed to when we were growing up, when, when, you know, most uh, announcers and pundits, you know, really advocated playing the game with a joyless efficiency, <laughs> which we now know, of course, is the correct way to. Yes. They it. feel, they feel no um, need to embellish anything that happens on the field because we can all watch every game and, and the highlights on sports center. So instead they tell us how, what we are watching is actually not good. 
No, you, you don't need to call a guy High Pockets Kelly because we can all see him <laughs> out there and then remark to our friends and family we may be watching the game with, boy, that fellow's pockets are rather high. So, What a um, showboat fisher all is. All right. <laughs> So why don't we? Uh, so why don't we dive in? This is a fairly long game. Um, so I think, what if we maybe just hit kind of um, innings with uh, scoring plays and maybe uh, pitching changes, um, and kind of take us through there. And I think as it goes on, the interesting element of this game will reveal itself. Um, so Ben, I don't know. Do you want to take it away from the top of the game there? Um, uh, so it looks like the top top of the second was the first point we had. In yes, the and it was, of course, Jim. Uh... Bottomley, who hit a home run to deep right field. I love that type of notation. Uh, so Bottomley crushed one and put the Cardinals ahead early, one to nothing. Um, and that was the way the game stayed for a little while until, and you're not going to believe this, Ben, um, but until Jim Bottomley came up and uh, following a sparky <laughs> Adams double and a ground out, uh, hit a sacrifice fly to center to plate Adams. Yeah, and uh, Adams had also advanced on a ground out before that as well. Sparky, I should say. So just just a whole lot of uh, moving the runner along there. So I think everyone could kind of enjoy that. So at that point, um, we're at a, a, a 2-0 game um, in the uh, – uh, fourth inning. Uh, this game is at Wrigley, of course. The Cardinals are the, the visiting team here, which actually makes me wonder that deep right field is a little odd in the, a box score from 1930. They don't typically, I, I feel like you don't see that level of detail there. Makes me wonder if he maybe hit it out onto the street or something like that, that would have, you know, kind of captured that. But uh, m- moving on, you know, the game keeps going and, and Burley Grimes, the Cardinals starter, um, uh, continues to pitch um, into the top of the sixth inning. Um, oh no, sorry, the Cardinals score again before. So Burley Grimes is is uh, has, is still blanking the Cubs at this point. It's actually in the top of the sixth that the Cardinals add to their lead. Uh, uh, George Watkins um, doubles to score. Believe it or not, Jim Bottomley, um, who had been hit by a pitch, and then uh, Jimmy Wilson uh, singles, uh, which scores uh, Fisher and Watkins. So um, at this point, it's a five, nothing game. Uh, Grimes would continue to blank the Cardinals through the six. So we're five, nothing through six. Um, And, and so the Cardinals take their five to nothing lead into the bottom of the seventh. And uh, this is when things start to unravel for Grimes. Uh, After getting a ground out to start off the home half of the seventh, uh, Grimes gives up a single to Riggs Stevenson, then a ground out to Footsie Blair, uh, but then he gives up a double to right field by Woody English, and he follows that uh, by giving up a double to left field to Kiki uh, Kyler, um, and after that he walks Hack Wilson. Uh, then there's a wild pitch, uh, and then Danny Taylor uh, singles home Kyler. And the Cubs have cut the lead to five to three, uh, heading into the eighth. Uh, at which point, uh, Jim Lindsay comes in uh, for Grimes, and uh, Lindsay gives up a single to Les Bell, and then uh, after a ground out to first, Footsie Blair doubles uh, 
Bell home and uh, Hartnett, who I left out, he also singled. And so we have ourselves a tie ball game going into the ninth inning, five to five. Yeah. So, uh, so just to recap, Burley Grimes pitched the first uh, uh, seven innings and then uh, Jim Lindsay came in to pitch the eighth inning for the Cardinals. Um, the Cardinals didn't score in the top of the ninth inning. So now we're heading into the bottom of the ninth in a tie game. So we're into, you know, potential walk-off territory. And so to start the ninth inning, the Cardinals bring in Sill Johnson. Sill is a, a shortening of Sylvester. Um, so so Sill Johnson is going to come into pitch here. Um, he's a, a, a guy who pitched, who did some starting, but did a lot of relieving actually throughout his career. And uh, he comes in and he uh, he blanks the Cubs uh, in the ninth inning. So at that point, we're uh, we're into extra innings. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, there's not a lot of scoring that happens. Uh, in the 11th, no one scores. The 12th, no one scores. The 13th, no one scores. The 14th, no one scores. So that takes us all the way up to the 15th inning, and I'll hand that over to Ben here. But worth noting is, uh, as we've ended the 14th inning, Sill Johnson is still pitching for the Cardinals. So by the time we reach the 15th inning there, he's uh, he's already pitched five innings uh, <laughs> um, come uh, out of the bullpen. And so on the top of the 15th, uh, the Cardinals uh, go down uh, – it- their first two batters go down in order. Uh, then Jimmy Wilson singles. After that, Charlie Gelbert doubles Wilson home. Then Sill Johnson, batting for himself, uh, singles to left and scores Gelbert. So the Cardinals, at that point in time, have a 7-5 to five lead going into the bottom of the 15th with Johnson on the hill. And just if I could add, you know, you're, you're, and I think this is a pretty modern thing we'd see too. Your, your reliever has only given you five innings. So it would be pretty commonplace to see him go ahead and bat for himself and send him out there for a sixth inning of relief. But, um, but Ben, I'll let you continue with the, uh, the bottom. So of the Johnson fifth. gives up a double to start things off uh, to Danny Taylor. Uh, then Gabby Hartnett doubles Taylor home. Then Les Bell singles Hartnett home, and we've got ourselves a seven to seven ball game tied up all over again, heading into the sixteenth. And this is one of those, you know, I don't know if it's a great or a terrible thing when you're watching an extra inning game, right? Because you, especially one that's gone this long, you see the visitors score two runs, you think, okay, this is it, the game's over. And then not only does the home team score, they score the exact same <laughs> number of runs. So we're headed to the 16th inning of this game now. Um, no one scores in the 16th inning. No one scores in the 17th inning. No one scores in the 18th inning. No one scores in the 19th inning. And w- the other thing that is notable is no Cardinals pitching changes happen. <laughs> so at this point, we're through the 19th inning and Sill Johnson has been pitching since the ninth inning in this game. So at this point, he has now um, thrown more innings in this game than Hall of Famer Burley Grimes, who was the Cardinals starter. Uh, which is just really incredible, and I love this so much. So uh, we are into the top of the 20th inning, and Bob Osborne is still on the hill for the Cubs. Uh, he strikes out Johnson to lead things off then gives up a single to Taylor uh, Doubt hit, 
then a ground out to Sparky Adams, followed by Andy High singling to center to uh, score a doubt hit and give the Cardinals a one-run lead going into the bottom of the 20th. And uh, who closed out the bottom of the 20th, Ben? Well, um, at that point, um, because they had the lead now, this is when they went to their closer. No, I'm just kidding. Sill Johnson went out there <laughs> to pitch another inning. So Sill Johnson came out for the bottom of the of the 20th. Uh, he, uh, Gabby Hartnett started things off with a single. Um, and then, uh, there was a, a pinch runner who came in. Um, but, uh, there was a pass ball that, that ultimately moved a runner up to second base, but ultimately, uh, Syl Johnson was able to get a three fly ball outs to end the game after 20 innings. So we had a 20 inning game here, won by the Cardinals eight to seven. They would of course go on to overtake the Cubs and most notable from this game is the fact that Syl Johnson had 12 innings pitched in this game as a reliever coming in in the ninth inning. Um, he gave up uh, nine hits, one walk, uh, two earned runs, uh, and uh, struck out nine. So a very interesting performance. I looked at it's so interesting. Um, I, I looked it up and uh, it's actually it's in the top 10 all time in terms of most innings pitched by a relief pitcher. Um, but it, when you look more closely, it's a little more unusual than that because almost all of the games ahead of it, the relief pitcher came in, in, in like the second inning or in some cases the third. So I think we can kind of safely assume that those were cases where a starter got injured. And so they brought in, uh, you know, a, another starting pitcher. So it basically was kind of a start for someone else. Um, there's only one or two other games where you have someone coming in uh, you know, this late and and pitching this many innings. So this is a pretty, pretty notable game in baseball history for that as well. And, you know, the other fun thing is you may have noticed that we said Bob Osborne's name a lot. He was the losing pitcher for the Cubs. He threw nine innings uh, in relief. So uh, we actually had two relief pitchers, each of whom threw more innings in the game than either starting pitcher. Uh, which is something, you know, you don't see too often, especially in 1930. Yeah, and and I, I did a little bit of looking on Syl Johnson as well, who's not someone I was interested in, but a very interesting and colorful person. And um, he was born December 31st, 1900 in Portland, Oregon. 1900 in Portland, Oregon. So basically, Ben, have you seen the movie First yes. Cow? So basically, he was born in First Cow, right? <laughs> I mean, that was essentially Portland in 1900. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, which is just, it's an interesting, and he lived until 1985. So again, it's just, it's interesting. I think sometimes you look back at these historical things, you know, here's a guy pitched this really interesting game in 1930, was born in, in the movie First Cow, and, you know, died the year that the Cardinals won, or well, the year they were in the World Series, but but didn't win in 85 there. Um, but anyway, interesting guy pitched for uh, 
15 years in the major leagues and, and pitched much more as a reliever throughout his career than a starter. Never had a season where he was just a full-time starting pitcher, like always kind of floated back and forth, almost like a, a swing man, which, and we talked earlier about, you know, kind of the transients of release pitchers. And that's been true throughout baseball history. So he's a kind of unusual case, you know, to do that much um, as well. So Anyway, it was it, it was a it was a fun kind of game to stumble on, and the unusual you know length of that, and then just some of the characters involved, I think, were pretty um, <laughs> interesting to us as well. Um, so Ben, um, as we kind of move to start wrapping things up here, uh, we've got uh, one series before the All Star break. Uh, what are you going to be looking for? Well, I'm going to be looking to see who sucks worse, the Cubs or the Cardinals. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, I I have kind of gotten to the point where, um, you know, I am very much looking forward to the All-Star festivities, uh, especially after we didn't, you know, have a first half, let alone an All-Star game last year. Um, and you know, the home run derby in Coors is going to be fun. Uh, the Futures game has uh, Gorman and Liberator in it. Uh, and then the All-Star game itself, I've just always really enjoyed. Ever since I used to vote for all St. Louis Cardinals and like the worst players on the ballot for the American League so that the National League could win. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm really looking forward to some of those fun matchups, you know, the the best hitters in the game against the best pitchers in the game. And especially with some of these emerging talents that we haven't seen in an all-star game yet, you know, Tatis, uh, well, basically all of the juniors um, and Soto and, and all of that. And so uh, I, I'm really looking forward to watching the all-star game and just sort of enjoying the, the uh, exhibition of it and the frivolity of it, just because the Cardinals and meaningful games have been uh, so lackluster of late. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm also looking forward to watching showboat Tatis and showboat Soto <laughs> and, you know, the various other <laughs> colorful players. of the Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to do a longer uh, or maybe not a longer, but a, a podcast during the all-star break, sort of looking at the first half and looking ahead to the second. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think the setting at Coors Field, it's a beautiful stadium. It's a great setting for baseball. Um, And I'm just, I'm really looking forward uh, after it being canceled last year to just sort of drinking in all of the all-star game and, and all of the fun that comes with it. Yeah. Well, very similarly to you, I'm, I'm just looking forward to this Cubs series and Think, kind of circling back to what we talked about at the beginning and a, a year when you're watching a team that's maybe not that great, you know, throughout those the 90s, for example. Um, and obviously, I was much younger then. media landscape was different, etc. The way we consume baseball was different. So I didn't watch nearly as many games then for a variety of reasons. But, you know, during some of those seasons when they weren't so great, I always made a point to watch Cubs games, you know, and it didn't matter if it was uh, a really mediocre or worse Cardinals team that had had no hope. You know, anytime they play the Cubs, <laughs> winning, you know, winning a series against the Cubs uh, is, you know, is always meaningful. You know, even if you it's the ugliest game you've ever seen and they win it with, um, you know, uh, 
a sack fly from John Mabry that scores Luis Alisea, you know, like it's still, it's still enjoyable. So, um, though these are three games that uh, I'm going to enjoy watching just because they're, they're Cardinals Cubs games. So, um, lastly, Ben, any off day recommendations for, um, I'm going to have an off day recommendation that touches on our discussion about the sticky stuff. Um, Jason Stark's podcast, Starkville, is often very good. And he had Andrew Miller on to talk about uh, the MLB crackdown on sticky stuff and all that. And it's just a really good interview. And I recommend folks check check it out. It's, it's very good, very thorough. Um, and I think it's worth your time to give a listen to. Yeah, I'll have to. I need to check that one out. I haven't checked that out. Uh, My recommendation is also a a podcast, and this is one that I was able to kind of binge. Uh, We did. We went to St. Louis last week. I went to a couple games, so it was one that I was able to kind of listen through in the car. And the podcast is called Crushed. Um, It's uh, hosted by and created by Joan Nielsen, who is is not a journalist that I was familiar with ahead of this, but. It's basically the the story of the steroid era in baseball. And it's, I think it's a, gosh, is it a six or seven episode, I think, podcast. Um, but it is just excellent. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, you know, having lived through the steroid era, um, it there were moments early on where I thought like, well, I already, I, I kind of started to think, oh, well, I, I already know that. Like, I know these, I know they, you know, the AP reporter found Andrew and Mark McGuire's, uh, you know, locker and stuff. But she just, she does such an amazing job of going into, you know, detail and just f- filling in and kind of coloring everything around, you know, mom- the really memorable moments like that in the whole steroid era um, that gives you context and perspective that even those of us who were following baseball very closely through it didn't have at the time. Um, And there's some really great interviews that kind of um, anchor it as well. She talks to a couple of uh, former players who, um, you know, who are steroid users, both of whom were kind of fringe guys. And it's very interesting to sort of hear their experience. And, you know, for both of them, they, um, you know, one was a little bit of a higher kind of prospect. The other guy was a very late round draft pick, but they both had were kind of, you know, working their way through the minor leagues and had the experience of kind of, you know, coming into camp and just suddenly seeing guys who, you know, they, they were better than and had been better than, you know, suddenly have added, and these guys are both pitchers as well. Suddenly, you know, these other guys have added, you know, four to five miles per hour of velocity on their fastballs and they just catapult past them. And you, you just you really takes you inside the kind of decision process of, you know, players like that and kind of, you know, what would you do there? Interestingly, for Cardinals fans, um, Royce Clayton is another is a uh, someone who's interviewed on there. He and uh, he's pretty adamant about, um, you know, he 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 thinks these guys were trash. Basically, he really looks down on these guys who you know, who, who use this and, you know, and that's interesting. And you, you think about a guy like Royce Clayton, who, you know, Royce Clayton was a pretty, pretty good prospect. And Royce Clayton was a guy who, you know, there was some expectation that like, you know, this guy could be really, you know, really good. He had a fine enough career, but, you know, never really ascended to any heights. And so when you look at it and under, you know, this, well, you know, potentially here's a guy who wasn't using with these other guys who were, that's, you know, that that's interesting. There's just a lot of levels to it. I should mention that, um, Joe Nielsen, um, uh, is grew up in St. Louis, like some of her earliest, 
or, or most salient early baseball memories were following the home run chase. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of really Cardinal specific content to this as well from her personal connection. Plus, of course, you know, given that McGuire is really the epicenter of all this kind of, you know, how couldn't there be, but it takes you through the whole thing. It takes you through the, um, you know, the testimony before Congress and the weird kind of like backroom stuff that happened around all that. So again, even if you lived through it and you've read about it and you feel like I know the bullet points, um, I, I can't recommend the the crushed podcast highly enough. So anyway, um, Ben, I think that's it for today. Anything else before we wrap uh, up? No, I think that's covered it. Uh, go Cardinals uh, this weekend, and hopefully they can head into the All-Star break on a positive note after beating the sucky Cubs. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I do feel I owe it to Mike Schilt to note that uh, John Gant struck out the batter that he faced after walking the intentional walk to load the bases. So um, so we, uh, I, I will take back my suggestion that we fire Mike Schilt into the sun for now. For now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Although I do kind of want uh, VHS's, uh, uh, you know, uh, bad process, uh, dumb yes. luck kind of. Uh, I feel like this is this is a moment for that. <laughs> um, but as Ben also mentioned, um, next week is the All Star break. Um, we're going to be doing one um, uh, one podcast, then uh, an All Star break spectacular, if you will. So you can look for that next week. But until then, yeah, this has been Cardinals Off Day. We'll see you next week.